Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh says, smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. to care with Korak. This is Josh, your host. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're following me on this journey to season two. Season one was a lot of fun, and uh, my hope with this season is that it is going to blow season one out of the water. So we've got some very special guests coming up, including today. Um, Today we have the one and only Sean Swarner. Sean is just amazing. I just, I don't even know. I say I don't know where to start. I've got a whole list of things to read about him, but man, just the the quality person he is, is just, it's unmatched. Uh, Sean is voted one of the top eight inspirational people of all time. If that doesn't say enough, I don't know what will. (laughs) Sean's first goal was to crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom. Somehow, He went from there to redefine the impossible by climbing 29,000 plus feet to the top of Mount Everest with only one functioning lung. From there, he stood atop the highest point on all seven continents, skied to the South and North Poles, and completed the Hawaii Ironman. Sean has been interviewed by Steve Harvey, CBS Evening News, Fox & Friends, The Today Show, Good Morning America, The Early Show, Huffington Post, Outside the Lines, Sports Center, Washington Post, USA Today, Sports Center, and and you name it probably, and he's been there. His numerous articles with thought leaders such as Sir Richard Branson and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, if I'm saying that right, put him in a category by himself. With only one functioning lung, a prognosis of 14 days to live, and being in a medically induced coma for a year, Sean Swarner is the first cancer survivor to stand on top of the world. Mount Everest. Sean has broken through defined human limitation in order to redefine the way the world views success. Sean was diagnosed with two deadly, different, and unrelated forms of cancer, once at the age of 13 and again at the age of 16. After an incredibly poor prognosis and being read his last rites, which Sean talks about in this episode, Sean astounded the medical community when he survived both these brutal diseases. He realized that after defeating cancer twice, no challenge would ever be too great, no peak too high. Sean proved his theory when he crested the peak of Mount Everest. As the first cancer survivor to do so, Sean decided to continue climbing and has since topped the highest peaks in Africa, Europe, South America, Australia, Antarctica, and North America, thus completing what we call the seven summits of the world. Upon skiing to both the South and the North Poles, Sean completed what's called the Explorer's Grand Slam. With the completion of the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii, Sean is the only person in history to accomplish these inhuman feats. As Sean continues to defy the odds, tests his own endurance, and inspire and motivate people around the world, he shares his message of healing, hope, and triumph with cancer patients worldwide. Sean also serves 
as a source of inspiration, as the founder of the nonprofit organization, the Cancer Climber Association, as author of the book Keep Climbing, and as a motivational speaker to corporations, universities, and other organizations around the globe. Sean has been the recipient of multiple awards and honors, including the American Lung Association Inspiration Award, the ESPN Never Give Up Award, and even has his own Sean Swarner Recognition Day in the state of Ohio, which I think is just awesome. In this episode, Sean and I discuss his story with cancer, his dreams of doing the best, uh, the biggest thing he could imagine. Spoiler, it's Mount Everest. We talk more on my trip to Aconcagua, the tallest peak in South America, and how Sean inspired me and helped coach me through that, and the idea of hope. For more information on Sean, check out his website, www.seanswarner.com, or check out his social media at Sean Swarner. Sean, as I mentioned before, is the author of the book Keep Climbing, How I Beat Cancer and Reached the Top of the World, so make sure to check the link in my bio for that. Sean also recently just published another book, and it's the first of seven. Uh, If you don't get it already, it's the seven summits, right? And so the first one is Everest. Uh, being unstoppable, right? Conquering your Everest. And it's the first in a series of seven. I believe Sean mentions that he is working on his next one right now, and it's going to be about Kilimanjaro. Um, so make sure to check the link below to get these books. I've read Keep Climbing. I haven't had a chance to read the um, new Everest book, but Keep Climbing alone is is just a is is a great book and one that inspires a lot of hope. It's inspired me a lot. It's, it's inspired me to become a counselor. It's inspired me to do Aconcagua and so much more in life. And um, Sean is just uh, someone I'm truly honored to call a friend, and very very grateful for his time here on uh, Care with Korak. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Care with Korak season two. This is Kareth Korak with Sean Swarner. Hey, Sean. There we go. Sorry about that. I have the, uh, <laughs> What's going on, the man? Zoom link. Yeah, I was wondering if you did. I, I forgot to delete that, and I, I switched over to this platform, so hopefully it wasn't too confusing. Got it. No, not a problem. Let me turn. There we go. Well, what's going on, man? It's so great to finally get connected. Yeah. Uh, like like in this format, at least, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I feel like we've just been bouncing around phone calls, emails, missing each other in uh, Puerto Rico. And... <laughs> no kidding. Puerto Rico, Africa. We, my wife and I took a drive to um, San Antonio, Texas. We just got back a few days ago. It was 14, 14 oh, no hours way. each way. Yeah, but it was... Uh, it was a good trip. Good. Yeah. Well, good, man. I mean, I know you've been so busy traveling around, so I really appreciate you taking some time for this. And um, I'm just so excited for, for today. I know your story is just, you know, one in a million, one in a billion probably. And, um, you know, it's just going to be such a fun one to share. So I'm really grateful awesome. that you awesome. took some time out. Well, cool. Well, um why don't we um, start out by just having you kind of share a little bit about your story? I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking this one more than most will probably be more of uh, just kind of a narrative, and 
you sharing your journey just because of how unique it is and how special. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to kind of just start at the beginning and share what you're comfortable with. Absolutely. I'm actually uncomfortable sharing pretty much anything. You know, my, I figured you would be, but you know, my, my life's an open book and I want people to, um, to hopefully take some inspiration from it. And, and more, more, more importantly, I would, I would suppose empowerment because mm-hmm. there are tons of well, inspirational stories out there, but I want, I want to empower people to take action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that's not going to be that hard to do. I mean, your story is so inspired. I mean, it's inspired me. It's inspired me to do what I did with Aconcagua and, and just in general, just been an inspiration in my life. And so this really is just such a huge honor, um, you know, getting you, getting you on and sharing your story some more. I, I, I appreciate that, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, why don't we just kind of start at the beginning and, and just kind of, um, tell us a little bit about who you are, maybe, maybe share just a little bit about what you're currently doing, and then you can kind of just start at the beginning and start wherever you feel feels right. Sure. Well, what I'm currently working on now is my second books out. I have, I'm working on an online program called the big hill challenge where they kind of, which is your second book. Um, the first one's keep climbing. Uh, how right. can to reach the top of the world? The second one is right here. <laughs> oh boy! Well, being unstoppable, conquering your oh, perfect. I'm excited for it. Is it out yet? It is. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon or go to my website and, and order it there. Okay. But um, it, it covers my trip to Everest, but it's it's mm-hmm. unlike any book I've ever read because embedded in the stories. They go through my cancers and everything embedded in the stories are lessons in how I did what I did because my, my first goal was literally to crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom. And then I went on to climb Everest in the highest mountain of every continent and go on to do what no humans ever done before. And during my keynote presentations, or I'm sorry, after my presentations, people would come up and they would say, oh, that's a great story, but, but how did you do it? I started thinking, well, that's, that's a, Great question. I don't know. So that's, that's kind of, this is book one of seven, helping people walk through what I'm doing, not necessarily what I did, because not everyone's going to climb Everest, but everyone has right. to climb. So this is insights into how you can do it as well, because it's, it's not, hmm. it doesn't tell you what to do. You know, there are so many books out there saying, you know, if, if you do this and this, this will be your result. But that just, that just doesn't work for the majority of people. And we're all different. Right. We all have different personal core values. So this actually sh- shares with you how to figure it out on your own. And you have more empowerment mm. that way. You, you, you have more ownership of it as opposed to, you know, following a blueprint, which doesn't work for most people. Anyhow, make your own. Right. So you said book of one of seven. Does that mean each book is going to be about each of the seven summits that you Correct. did? Correct. Yeah. The second one, the second <laughs> oh, one I just finished is called Kilimanjaro into the self. And that's, mm. that's not available yet. And I just finished Elbrus, uh, which is the highest mountain in Europe. Okay. And I haven't come up with a title, a subtitle for that one yet, but this is, uh, like I said, um, conquering your Everest. And then the next one is, uh, into the self. Kilimanjaro and then Elbrus something. I don't know yet. Yeah. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm definitely gonna have to add it to my list. So 
Yeah. No, that's great. So cool. Would you mind just kind of starting um, at the beginning, sharing your story of, of how you started with climbing Everest, right? What even led up to all that? I know I like, you know that I know, but for my audience, could you, would you be willing to share your story? It's absolutely. It's, it's interesting how the whole thing came about. Um, mm-hmm. So just real quick backstory. I was born and raised in a super small town in Ohio and went to Westminster College, small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. And then I went to further my education to get my master's and my doctorate in Jacksonville, Florida at the University of North Florida. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know you had your doctorate. I don't. And your master's. I don't. Oh, So I was working towards those when it was the first time I actually looked back at my life and tried to figure out pretty much what the hell was going on. Oh, wow. Because, yeah. because I was thousands of miles away from my family. I could reinvent myself. Um, everyone in my hometown knew me as Cancer Boy. And even people mm. in, in college ended up knowing my, my background, uh, with my medical background. And it was interesting because I saw this as a new opportunity to be who I wanted to be and not be defined mm. by the cancer. So I was actually because that must have been such a huge part growing up, especially when when the cancer was active. That must have just been such a huge part of how others defined you and how others viewed you as a person. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and the wow. you know looking back at it too, when I was in college, it, it's when you're when you're out on a date, it's not exactly you know, dinner conversation, like, how do you bring it up? Like, Oh, Hey, I'm a survivor. Mm. It's not dinner conversation. Oh yeah. You know, the, 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 um, basketball team did great. Football team did great. You know, what do you, what are you studying? What's your major? Oh, by the way, I'm a two-time terminal cancer survivor. Like, you drop the bomb and then what? Like, <laughs> right. Right. I mean, that they were just both so monumental, right? Absolutely. So I, I when I was down in Florida, I realized I had an opportunity to either leave that behind or figure out what it meant to me. And when I was studying down there, I was actually working on um, my education to be a psycho-oncologist, which is a psychologist for cancer patients. So mm. I knew I had been through a lot and I wanted to help not only the patients, but also the the, the families as well, because it's not an individual. Sure. But I realized that I hadn't dealt with my own issues. So that's when I decided mm. to stop. I took a sabbatical from my studies and by sabbatical, I mean, I dropped out because I'm probably not going back and I decided to go climb Everest. And I came up with that concept because I just kept thinking of, of the uh, higher and higher platform to help other people who were afflicted by the disease. Mm. And yeah. It doesn't really make sense when I say logically, I came up with Everest, but I just kept thinking higher and higher. And logically, it was the highest platform in the world. Right. So so backing up a little bit, maybe for my audience who hasn't read your book, isn't familiar with your story, um, you're a cancer survivor, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Sure. So the, the, the first one was when I was 13. Uh, diagnosed with advanced stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. They they told my parents, "Hey, your firstborn son's going to be dead in three months." You know, so mm-hmm. as a thirteen year old, I I had I had an expiration date, and I remember being bloated, sixty seventy pounds overweight, lost all the hair in my body, lost all my friends, I, lo- I lost everything. My my life was on pause, and then I remember going. Uh, I was in remission for about a year, so I, I had chemotherapy. I had everything for ten months, eleven months. 
Then I was in remission for about a year and then going in for a checkup for the first cancer, they found a second cancer and it was completely unrelated. It was, so I was diagnosed with two primary cancers. And how old were you with the, did you say how old you were with the second cancer? Almost 16 years old. Almost 16. Yeah. And the, re okay. and the reason I remember that is because I was getting my driver's license and I was bald and I was the only person in mm. Ohio that they, they actually let me take my driver's license picture with my hat on. So really, yeah. yeah, like I said, growing up in a small town, I, I knew the lady behind the counter. My dad knew her, my mom knew her, she's a family friend and they mm -hmm. knew what was going on. So like, yeah, you know, what's, it's just, you know, a 16 year old license. You can get it retaken when you get well, because, because no one expected me to live. Right. So like, okay, well, wow. get it taken. That's fine. And they, the second time around the doctors told my parents that I only had 14 days to live. Wow. So even, so the first time was three months, right. this time it was two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I remember being in the hospital bed and laying in a hospital bed and at my feet, you know, a man of the cloth came in and started reading me my last rites. I was, I was read my mm. last rites as a 16 year old. And I looked at my parents kind of jokingly and I'm like, I'm, I'm not dead yet. What's he doing? <laughs> right. So as, as morbid as that sounds, I, I developed a different I would say a different uh, perspective on a lot of things. And one mm -hmm. perspective I developed because I did come out on the other side was the idea and the concept that you really are capable of doing anything you want. Mm. Or I'm, I'm, the perspective I developed was one, because I went through the two cancers basically during the developmental years of my life, you imagine looking at life a little bit differently because your friends, a quote unquote, normal teenager is focused on being popular, the nicest hairstyles, the nicest clothes, nicest shoes, you know, being in the popular cliques. Um, yeah. I was just, I was literally focused on living and mm -hmm. I, I never got caught up in that stuff. I never got wrapped up in it. Yeah. So this, this idea of, you know, being focused on living, what did that actually look like during this time? Like, how did you, how did you survive this? <laughs> well, imagine with the second cancer, imagine going to bed tonight, mm -hmm. terrified to close your eyes because you don't know if they'll, they'll open up the next morning. I mean, just so much fear. I, I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. And, and that's, and I, I ended up getting comfortable being uncomfortable because I, I had mm -hmm. no choice. You know, night after mm -hmm. night after night, I was terrified to go to sleep. I fell asleep because of exha exhaustion. Not because I right. You to weren't falling asleep. Yeah. You were passing out. Yeah. But it, it eventually, wow. you know, I, I think thanks to the miracle of modern medicine, family support, prayer, and just an inner will to get up out of the hospital. I, I made it back out, but it, it, mm. it helped me looking back at it. People like, well, you know, w would you change anything? Would you, would you get rid of the, absolutely not. I would keep it the same. Because really? It, absolutely. Because it helped me develop the resilience, the resiliency muscle yeah. I have now. I know what it's like to fight for my life. I know what true pain really is. I know what, um, being an outcast feels like. I know what being overweight feels like. I know what it's like to be so many different mm. things wrapped up in one little body. Yeah. You, you really have experienced just so many different types of pain that now you're able to empathize and connect with others on such a, a much deeper level than may, maybe some of us could. Yeah. It, I mean, it could be, 
you know, and, and I, I think one of the things that going through this treatment has taught me was because I was bald at such a young age, I was heavy, I was overweight, everything, I went through it all, you know, mm-hmm. even now I'm completely non-judgmental. You know, I, I do the best I can to not judge a book by its cover. And I, and I, I right. wish more people could do that. Because you don't know what that person is going through. You don't know if that person is going through a bad day. Now, in that same breath, if I'm driving down the highway and somebody cuts me off, do I get pissed off and flip them the bird and honk? Yeah, probably. But I get over it very quickly. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's it's different, though. That's that's reactivity versus this idea of non-judgment, right, that you're bringing up. I mean – it's how how could you be judgmental when you had experienced so much yourself i mean it, it truly does sound like one of the most humbling experiences it could have been and, and i i think that's a great way of saying it. you know it was a humbling experience because i oftentimes you're going through life and you realize that you don't think that you, you don't feel like you're in control you know and sometimes you aren't but on those moments that you are in control those moments that you you do feel strong take advantage of Mm. being like I said, being a keynote speaker, one presentation I gave, I was coming down and I was wrapping up the conference and I got a phone call from my oncologist right after my checkup, you know, the blood work, uh, CBC platelets, all that stuff. I go in once a year for a checkup because no one's ever had these two cancers before. I'm going to be in remission for the rest of my life. I'm never going to be cured. So, I went once a year for a checkup, and as I was going down, the doctor called me, and she told me that everything was fine. All all my blood work came out, and I see it as a new, you know, I have another year to live. And I sent out a message to some friends, and they're like, YOLO, man, hashtag YOLO, you know, all over Instagram and social media. And I started thinking about that while I was giving my talk on stage, and I completely changed how I wrapped it up. And I told him, you know what? You only live once. I think we have that backwards. People need to look at it a little differently. It's not you only live once. You only die once. You live every day. And I think that's wow. Yeah, taught me. Cancer's really taught me. Wow, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at that. I've never thought of that before. Wow. So I mean, it, it. it almost sounds like this idea of mindfulness, right? That like you, you really just have to be present in each moment that you're living because who knows, right? Tomorrow's not promised, right? It certainly wasn't promised for you growing up. Um, so what a, what a wonderful perspective through such a heavy time. I can only imagine. You know, like, like I said, sometimes you're not in control, but in reality, you can always control how you react. In mm-hmm. every situation, if you are mindful, bring up the term that you just you just mentioned, whatever happens to you, you might not have control over getting cancer. You might not have control of, of uh, someone cutting you, cutting you off. And more than likely, more often than not, you don't have control, but you always have control over how you react in mm-hmm. every situation. Yeah. Well said. I mean, that's, that's something I do a lot with my own clients, right? I mean, there's so many people coming in because, you know, one of the biggest things that causes us to stress is those things that are out of our control, right? Which is a lot. When we sit down and look at what's in our control versus what's out of our control, I mean, the gap is just huge, right? Uh, and so, so many clients coming in and there's so much distress because I can't control what I'm thinking. I can't control how I'm feeling, right? 
And, but you're, you're hundred percent right. One of the biggest things that we can control is how we either react or how we respond to a situation. Right. And there's, there's healthy ways of doing that. And there's certainly unhealthy ways and how, you know, how are some of the ways that you were reacting through this turbulent time? Initially, like everybody, why me? Why me? You know, why, why did I get cancer? I was, mm. I was healthy. I ate broccoli. You know, why, why am I, why <laughs> I have cancer? Um, but asking that question mm. wouldn't change the situation. Right. So people have said it before. Why, why not me? Or asking why me, I, I could do that a thousand times to come up with a thousand different answers. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, and you probably did. Absolutely. But it, it wouldn't change the fact that I had cancer. It wouldn't change the situation and it wouldn't give me any closure. So why wouldn't I just move forward with the best attitude that I possibly could? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you say that, but then for so many, that's so difficult, right? I mean, depression, anxiety, stress just swallows them, right? And this this is even more than just terminal illnesses, right? This is just in life. Some people have much better circumstances than maybe you did as a kid, and yet still are just swallowed by the the depression, anxiety that maybe uh, comes with their experiences. Because they're focused on what they don't have. They're focusing on lack as opposed mm. to what they do have. So one of the things that I really, really became good at was every evening, I, I never thought to myself, uh, well, I, I, I did, but eventually I changed it. I, I didn't think to myself, you know, I, I didn't accomplish this. I couldn't accomplish that. I can't do this. I can't. I was, I was a competitive athlete for years before I got cancer. I, I probably, I think I still have um, swimming records from when I was 10 years old. And then all of a sudden this happened, right? I had my sights set on the Olympics. I was going to be like Michael Phelps, you know, and the swimming back and forth. I have, I have the big sure. for it. <laughs> so, and the big flippers, like a size 12, size 13 feet. And mm. I, I decided to change it and look at everything that I could do, everything that I was able to accomplish that day. So as opposed to going to bed every night, being focused on what I couldn't accomplish, what I didn't do. I went to bed with an attitude of gratitude. And, and for people mm. who, a lot of people who are anxious are living in the future. A lot of people who are depressed are living in the past. I, right. I was forced to live in the moment, which I still do. And, and mm. I, I'm grateful for, and my wife and I do this every night, we go to bed. I actually have a journal, but if we, if we're, say we're traveling or we don't have the journal, we list off five things that we're grateful for that happened that day. Not I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my health, you know, specific things like tonight. I'll say, I'm grateful for mm. the, for the, the podcast that I had with, with, with you. And, oh, Sean. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then we go into talking about why one of those five is we're more great, most grateful for that because of blank. Mm. And when you attach that, because it really helps you tap into your personal core values, which then helps you forget about being anxious, which helps you forget about being depressed, because now you're focused on what matters most to you, which is your personal core values. Mm. That is huge. I mean, that... I, I can't help but make that connection to my my story with Aconcagua, right? Which I knew was just going to come up naturally with, um, you know, everything that you've done and... and um, 
<clears throat> you know, I was just so angry. Like, I don't even remember if we connected much afterwards. We connected before where you gave me so much, you know, helpful insight and, and just, we just had some good talks beforehand, but I, I didn't, I didn't summit. I don't know if you knew right. that. Um, and it was because I got hate and it was just such a oof, frustrating experience for me. I was just, I, I reacted so poorly. I was just so angry. I was like, I put so much training into this, so much money. Like I had so many expectations from other people going into this and to have something again out of my control, right. Couldn't control the hate. Um, but it just, it, for, for the first, like probably a year or two after it happened, I was, I had such a negative perception on it and it took me so long to kind of flip it. Like how you're saying to focus on the gratitude aspect and man, there was so much that I learned from it. I'm, I'm a changed man because of that trip, right? There's so much that I learned from that. And, and just, so hearing you talk about that, just, it, it's really starting with me of like how it took me a lot longer to, or maybe it, it, it took me a while to, uh, really flip that and really flip my pers perspective on that trip. Well, and and, and to, to let people know what HAPE is, I mean, it's basically altitude-induced fluid, your lungs filling with fluid, pulmonary edema, you know, high-altitude-induced mm -hmm. pulmonary edema. And I mean, right. it's a serious condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was serious. Like, I, I, I remember they were telling me uh, we were at base camp, so this was uh, Plaza de Mulas. And, um, you know, even that day, we, we had done a day where we hiked up to Confluencia first, and then we did a day trip to the South Face. And so we, we were slowly acclimating, but I just remember the day we ended up finally making the trek up to base camp, I was struggling near the end and, you know, went to the, the base camp doctor and they're like, oh no, you know, your, your, your oxygen levels are good. Like you, you should be good next day. Like my oxygen levels had dropped from the nineties to like the sixties. Like it was, it was pretty dramatic. And I remember that day where I ended up having to go down there. Like you, you have to go down today. Otherwise you're going to die if you stay up here. And it was just like such a surreal moment where, you know, that's never been something I've had to confront before my own personal death. And so thinking of your story like that, that was your story every day. It sounds like for, for years. It, 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 yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say my lungs were, were full of fluid. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe not that dramatically, but I, but in a different yeah, yeah. way, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to picture like the, the fear, the frustration, the just, ugh, the defeat that I had that day. Like, I'm trying to picture like what that must've been like for you. Well, you you uh, end up getting used to it. And, and I don't, mm. well, maybe. I take that back. You don't get used to the frustration. You just learn how to deal with it better. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, um, why well, I, I take a group up Kilimanjaro every year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. Right. Right. And we're going again in July. I just got back in February. We tested it out as an inspedition as opposed to an expedition because inspedition, inspedition because so many people, I, I coined that, that term in October because so many people think when they go on the trips, like, oh, I'm going to conquer that mountain. When it, I mean, if it's you versus mm. Mother Nature, she's going to kick your ass every single time. I don't care who you are. <laughs> she's taking you down. 100%. <laughs> so the mountain becomes a metaphor for life, essentially. And you, you learn mm. to conquer yourself, not the mountain. So in expedition, 
is an inward journey via an outward adventure. So yeah. when you were on the mountain, you were going through your own expedition when you had to deal with, with the, men, the mentality part, the mental part, and the physical part. So it had nothing to do right. with the mountain. It had everything to do with you. Again, being that situation, you can't control what's going on. It just is, it is what it is. But that right. was an inward journey that you went on. That was your personal mm. expedition. 100%. I mean, they, it, you're 100% right. You know, that's – I. That's why I, and I'm, I'm, I think I can speak for you. That's why we love the outdoors so much, right? Because you can't help but get those experiences when you take the time to disconnect, right? To isolate yourself in the wilderness, not necessarily isolate where you're by yourself, but sometimes, um, but where, where you're just disconnected from the busyness of life, you're with good people and, and you can't help but have good reflections, good times of solitude, good times of gratitude when you're in the wilderness, like it's just a given, yeah, it's it, it is it's it's beautiful, and I when this past trip up Kilimanjaro was my twenty second summit. Right? Wow! And, Congratulations! Ah, thanks. And um, you know it, it. The groups I take up, we have double the mountain success rate. So the average success rate on Kilimanjaro is forty five to forty eight percent. We're at ninety nine percent. Wow! And I think it's because we have that deeper purpose mm. you know, and pur purpose equals passion uh, passion equals um meaning mm -hmm. and if you have a, a deeper desire a deeper meaning behind something as opposed to oh, i'm going to conquer the mountain it's 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 and again it's it's very metaphorical if looking at life where so many people think the the new car is going to bring him happiness or for a lot of guys, mm -hmm. you know, the new wife, the new girlfriend, whatever it might be, the new house, right? You know, the new job. When I get a raise, it's, it's going to bring me happiness. And happiness is an internal job. It's an inside job. And a lot of people don't realize that the stuff out there isn't going to change how you feel. It's what it represents to you. So looking back mm -hmm. at Aconcagua, you know, you wanted to reach the summit for a reason that was your reason for being there and it wasn't the mountain that you're disappointed in it was yourself oh yeah 100 percent. yeah couldn't have said it better myself you know um yeah that's that's amazing i'm, I'm stuck on 22 times like you you know could you just share a little bit i mean i want to get to you sharing a little bit about just your experiences trekking you know everest and just the seven summits in general for the first time but could you share a little bit now just your experiences with leading the groups up Kilimanjaro and what that has been like for you? People, people often ask me, why do I keep doing it? You know, it, it, and again, it goes back to being a fundraiser for cancer charity. And every year we pay for a survivor's trip to go for free. And then it's the responsibility of that survivor to raise funds for next year's survivor, kind of paying it forward. Mm. Right? Great business model, and it keeps it close to the family. The, the wow. Family. And again, it gives that survivor a deeper purpose because we have names on a flag that have been touched by cancer. We take to the top. But for me, it, it has nothing to do with the mountain. It has everything to do with the people. Like, I know I can make it up there. I've, you know, I've been up there 22 times. I, there's, there's, I know what the challenge is like. I know how to figure out the problem to make, make it up to the summit. And I think mm. you, you get to a stage in your life, and I wouldn't necessarily say an age, but a stage in your life where you get more out of giving. 
And if you look at it, say, you kind of equate it to Christmas, where, you know, I don't, I don't need anything, but I love giving gifts to my nieces and my nephews and my wife, my family. You know, I love seeing their smile from the opening yeah. up, the opening up the present. That's what it's like getting up to the top of Kilimanjaro now. I love, and this mm. is going to sound really bad, but I, I love seeing people cry. I love, <laughs> I love seeing those emotions come out because yeah. it's raw, unfiltered emotion. And I know mm. in an instant it changes their lives. And I think more yeah. than anything, it's, it's Kilimanjaro is about encouragement and, and helping people see something in themselves that they don't necessarily see, but I do. Hmm. How cool is it for you? I mean, just this journey you've been on for you to shift from this being your own. I don't know if I can speak, if I can speak to this, but it sounds like this was like almost like a personal rescue for you where this transformed your life, right? Doing these seven summits, doing the North and South poles. Right. Um, and now being able to transition to the facilitator, to the leader, uh, where you're able to give those same experiences that you had and you're able to help facilitate that for others. Like how special, I mean, wow. <laughs> I, I absolutely. And I think it, it's a great, it is, it's a great vehicle to lead people, but going up Kilimanjaro and working with clients that I have and keynote presentations, everything I do, um, it's weird because I don't lead like most people do. I'm not at the front of the pack. I'm, I'm mm. in, I'm actually going out for the summit night on Kilojaro. I'm the last in the group, but I'm doing that because I'm keeping an eye on everybody, making sure they don't yeah. wander too far off the trail. We, we do have a local guy who I've been up there with now 21 times, 22 times. He's leading them up. I'm at the back, you know, I'm hauling caboose, mm -hmm. keeping an eye on people. And usually every day I'm behind encouraging them to go out and explore. However, when it gets dangerous, I'm the first one up there to, to take the first step to lead the way. But I think oftentimes people have this, this misnomer that you have to be at the front of the pack to lead when in all honesty, you can lead from behind. Mm. You just have, to be how does that, Oh, sorry. What did you say? You have to be a strong leader and you have to be confident and, and lose and lose the ego. That's what it is. It's not about you. It's about yeah. the others. Mm. Uh, that might have just answered my next question was like, how do we apply that to non Kilimanjaro life? <laughs> Realize that you don't, you don't need to be at the front of the pack. If you want to be a successful leader, that reflects itself in who you're leading. It has nothing to do mm. with you. It has to do with the team. And if you're leading right. properly, whether from the front or from behind, success doesn't solely rely on you. It relies on the team. But if mm. you can lead from behind and encourage people to go out there, it's almost a akin to when a child's trying to figure out a, a problem or a puzzle. And if you go in there and do it for themselves, if you go in there and do it for them, they're not going to have any ownership of that. They're, they're not going to be as proud as they would be if they figured it out on their own. Mm. So they don't have that attachment to that success. But when you encourage yeah. people to stick with it, you can do this. When you're um, empowering others to stick with it, to have that resiliency, to move forward, then they own that. And then they're even more proud. Wow. What a cool role that you get to play doing that. I mean, 
Man, I'm. You know, I'm coming some one year. Well, it's gonna well, happen. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, it's it's happening at some point. So I'm I'm excited to to get to experience this firsthand. So it'll happen. I promise. Yeah, and it, it's 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 fun too because this past trip we tested it out with the whole expedition concept. And every evening we give you so pretend you're coming on the trip. We'll give you a journal while we're back in Moshi at the hotel. And then every evening we'll give you a sticker to put at the top of the, of each one of the pages, wherever you're mm. done writing. And it's like a daily insight for the next day. And it relates back to say like mindfulness, the compound effect, uh, personal core mm-hmm. values. So we plant the seed the night before, and then we focus on certain things that are metaphors that happen on the mountain that are, that you can relate back to in real life. Mm. See, I, I love that. Like that is what these trips should be about. And I love that you're doing this for your people, the people who are coming on these trips. And, and this is what facilitates personal growth. Right? It's not it's not about summiting. Right. And that can be a huge part of it. But it's it's that's not what it's about. It's about what you're doing as as the facilitator and, and what you're talking about now. So that's so cool. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I tell people who are interested like I said before, we, I have doubled the success rate uh, from the mountains average. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons is because we're the only group on the mountain singing and dancing and having fun. And the summit becomes a byproduct of having fun. Like if you're enjoying yeah. what you're doing, you're going to be successful. Mm, 100%. <laughs> well said. Well, uh, cool. Could you share a little bit like, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, your, your time with cancer, your time with Kilimanjaro in specific. Um, tell me just a little bit about what the experience was like for the first time, right? Cause you did, you did Everest. Everest was the first mountain, yeah, right? Everest was number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so could you just, I mean, this might be a little bit of a, a dive into your most recent book, but could you just share a little bit about what that experience was like for you? Well, it was, it was, <laughs> it was both terrifying and satisfying at the same time. I, could, I couldn't imagine anything less <laughs> because I was, I was told by probably 99.9% of the population that I talked to, everybody I spoke to and the public, they said it was impossible to climb Everest with one lung. So I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I was just going to add, like, I don't think we've said that yet. You, you only have one lung right. as a result of the cancer. I, right? I, have, I have both lungs, but only one fully functions because of the radiation okay. therapy, uh, destroyed my right lung so much. There's so much scar tissue. There's really no oxygen transfer. So, okay. But they, they left it in there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's I don't still hanging out there. Kind of like uh, Nemo's lucky fins, just like my lucky <laughs> lung hanging out. <laughs> It's your lucky lung. Yeah. I love it. But so you you have one like fully functioning exactly. lung and this was before Everest. And so you're trying, you're saying, Oh yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hike up Everest. Yes, right. Exactly. And they're like, oh, what? You have one, you have one lung, right? Like, how is that even possible? You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that because actually I'm looking on, on my cards, like my business cards. One of my favorite quotes. Oh, let's see it. Is right there. It's a little, little blurry on my end. It won't be in the final product, oh, it says, but it always, it always seems impossible until it's done. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So it's, it's a quote from Nelson Mandela. It's one of my favorite quotes. And it's so true because when, when mm-hmm. people think something's impossible, they don't even go after it until someone else does it. Then they think, oh, it's possible to do that. 
So mm. what I'm doing now is I'm hoping to inspire other people to believe in themselves. So if a guy, yeah. you know, climbed up Everest and yeah, I was terrified, but at the same time I was excited and, and I focused on the mountain. I, I look, I utilize and use what I learned when I was going through my cancers. So for example, when I was 60 pounds overweight, first time going through cancer at 13 years old, I remember being on my hands and knees in the shower and the water was starting to fill up in the shower because the, the, the hair kept falling out in clumps. Right. And I had to pull the hair out of the drain to let the water down. But I was on my hands and knees, 60 pounds overweight, bald from head to toe, weeping. But I also mm. realized I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living. Right. So the same thing going up Everest. I wasn't focused on not falling off the ladders, spanning crevasses. I was focused on making it to the other side. I wasn't focused on not slipping and falling down the mountain. I was focused on making it to the top. You know, it's, mm. it's very similar to life. I guarantee you any entrepreneur gets into business or any business owner uh, or anyone for that matter, they don't take a job. They don't get into what they're doing thinking, oh, I don't want to lose money. Right. I want to make money. Exactly. Same thing in life. Yeah. Same thing with climbing a mountain. Same thing with anything. Mm. When were the seeds first planted that you were like, I, I want to do this. I want to try this. Jacksonville, Florida, when I dropped out of school and I just started thinking, you know, what, what can I do to inspire the cancer community? And, and mm. initially I thought, well, maybe I can run from LA to New York. And, and just, do people do that? What's that? Do people do that? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I don't, maybe not running. They, I know they do it on a bike race. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that. Yeah. But you were thinking you were dreaming big. And I just kept thinking bigger and bigger and bigger. And like I said, naturally the highest platform in the world. Yeah. And I, I wanted to get nothing higher. Hope. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing, man. I just, I can't help but just being, I, you know, I've, I've read your story multiple times. I hear it a lot just through social media and I just can't help but, but be inspired each time. I mean, it's, it, it really is amazing. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I really do. But also remember that we're all living different lives and we can all inspire others. Yeah. You know, take, take what I've learned, apply it to your own life, inspire other people. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we're all not going to climb Everest, but we all have an Everest to climb. Right. Well, that's the goal, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm glad you're writing those books. I mean, yeah, making that more applicable approach to it. Because you're right. Not everybody's going to go do Everest or Kili or Aconcagua or whatever it may be. But we, we do have these these uh, mountains to climb in our own lives, you know, whether it's the uh, you know, past childhood trauma that maybe we've experienced, whether it's the... Um, struggles we have with disordered eating, whether it's this or that, right? I mean, there's just so many mountains that we all have and, um, it's, it's a, that's life, right? That's the struggle of life absolutely, and the beauty of life. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, someone's Everest might literally be walking around the block, mm. you know, getting off the couch, finding the motivation to, to live, to go exercise again, to, eat healthy, to go after, you know, a, a girl, a guy, to go after whatever you want. And you think, oh my God, that's such a far-fetched concept. I can't do it. Well, take that, take one step, one step. Mm. 
and then take yeah. a nap. Yeah. You know, one, one of the, I, I have a, a friend, he's, um, uh, he's a recovering alcoholic. And he told me something that'll stick with me forever. The first time he went to an AA meeting, you know, they were talking, there was a guy up there saying, you know, I've, I've been, um, I've been clean now for, you know, however many years. And the guy goes, I have to stay sober for, for 15 years. And the answer was no, you have to stay sober today. Mm. The same thing, just pick something that you're going after and do it today. Then yeah. do it tomorrow and then do it the next day. But just today, yeah. that's it. Just today. Start today. Right. Don't worry about the next day. Right. Start today. You know, that, <clears throat> that is interesting. Like that makes me think of this uh, piece of research I found recently around specifically around substance use, but I think we can just like what you shared, I think we can apply it to anything. Um, it's the, what, what they're starting to find is the most uh, predictive factor for recovery from substance use, whether it's drinking, drugs, whatever. The, they're finding that the most predictive factor isn't about, you know, showing up to AA meetings or um, following a strict, you know, uh, regimen of treatment when it comes to sobriety. Well, you know, it's none of that. What the most predictive factor is, is how many times you try, mm. right? How many times you try to go towards recovery, to go towards sobriety, right? And I think that that gives us some hope for, for any factor of life, right? How many times we try predicts success, right? And so I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I think it's just, it, it's just interesting, you know, connecting if your stories around Kilimanjaro and, and just your own personal story with the seven summits and cancer. Um, I mean, you just did not stop trying. Yeah. You just one, one foot in front of the other. And, yeah. And your, yeah. Your first step is never your last. And, mm -hmm. you know, going back to just all the other quotes, you, you know, you know what you have to do. You know, you want to do it. Find a deeper purpose, find a, not necessarily your why, but find a reason why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. you know, check out a, a core values assessment. I have one, shoot me an email. I'll send it, I'll send it to you. I, I oh, put awesome. it myself and you can find, find your top 10 personal core values and then start making decisions yeah. based on those because we are all, we are all where we are in life because of the seemingly mundane decisions that we've made for the X number of lives that we've been, or X number of years that we've been alive. If you want something different, do something different. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, no, that's huge. I mean, that's become such a huge facet in so many different types of therapies. Like I do this in my own therapy. I, I do a lot of value work in terms of, you know, at, at the very least starting with what are your top values, right? We do what's called a value card sword and giving it some names and um, helping them to narrow down, okay, what's your top five values, right? And then once we're there, um, how, how are you living these values out, right? And how, how aren't these values being met? And how can we start to strive towards work? Um, working towards meeting those values and making sure you're living your most authentic life where if these are the most important things to you, we want to be doing life that lines up with this, which is, it sounds like is a lot of what you do in your own life and your own work with clients. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you don't know what you mm. value, how are you going to make proper decisions? How are you going to move forward with, with uh, who you want to become and what you want to become? You can't. Mm. Yeah. 
So what are, what are some of your top values? I'm curious, like, what have you <laughs> kind of discovered in your life that these are some of the things that are most important to me? I was going to say, I have my journal, but it's downstairs because every three, every three <laughs> weeks I do my own personal evaluation. And really? That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's in the journal that I made. Um, and I have that core values assessment and everything else every three mm -hmm. weeks, but obviously family, personal growth, mm -hmm. um, health those are those are probably some of the biggest ones yeah good ones yeah right <laughs> good ones for sure and it, yeah and it, and, it, and it depends on what i'm doing as well because what i value now isn't it's probably not on par to what i valued when i was you know 20 in college <laughs> it's a little different 100 percent it, it shouldn't be, yeah. it'd almost be a little bit concerning if it was right. Because we grow so much, like we're constantly growing, hopefully. And well, we, we are growing, whether it's positively or uh, growing backwards, maybe. Um, but you know, you're right in the sense that it's, it's not going to be exactly the same. Yeah, not at all. I mean, and, and even yeah. in three weeks, it can change you know, and how you're actually mm. living those values changes. So yeah. you, you can focus on family more. You can focus on uh, your health more. You can focus on, you, give your attention onto what you want to improve and then just repeat. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. So you did the seven summits. So we're talking Everest, Aconcagua, Kilimanjaro, um, Denali. I'm struggling. I'm going to even struggle to remember all seven. Elbrus. Um, um Vincent. Oh shoot, what's the one what is it? Vincent in Antarctica. Yes, okay. And then what's the one in the on in Australia? The Pacific. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you did all seven of those and then you were like, what's next? Right. <laughs> and you did the North and South Poles, right? Correct. Yep. And so could you share like what you actually did during that time? Well the the South the, all together, the seven summits and the two poles are called the Explorer's Grand Slam. Which I, yeah. I jokingly say, I think it sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter, but I didn't. So <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. You're like I got my pancakes, I got my bacon, my eggs. <laughs> Unfor uh, that would be great if it was like you get to the North Pole. Here's you know, <laughs> your Denny's Grand Slam breakfast. Here's your breakfast. Um, yeah, congratulations. Right, but the South Pole was was pretty moderate compared to the North Pole, because if if you look mm. at the Antarctica, it's a continent. And underneath the ice is land. And right. the North Pole, it's a northern northern glacier, the Arctic glacier, right? And if you can picture the world like a giant glass of water and the ice mm. cube in a, ice cubes floating on top of the water, that's what the, the North Pole is like and on a massive scale. And oh wow, yeah. Things are constantly moving around because of the currents underneath. Like if you spin your, your glass, you know, the, the cubes will kind of float around because of the mm -hmm. current pushing it around underneath. So because of that, there were a couple of nights where we skied north, say seven miles. And while we were sleeping, after we set up camp, we would, we floated two or three miles backwards. So we would only cover maybe two miles when we really covered seven, we would float oh, wow. maybe five miles backwards. That was a little trippy. You know, knowing <laughs> that sounds trippy and frustrating, man, because you're, you're sitting there yeah. thinking, oh, this is fantastic. We made a great, great headway today. We covered 10 miles. 
awesome. Let's let's get a good night's sleep. Wake up, check the GPS. Wait a minute. You know, we, we have to go three miles before we even get to where we went to bed last night. Right. Oh, wow. Because how, how long did it take you to ski this whole thing? It's about 10 days, I think. Okay. So, so about a week and a half. It's not too long. Um, and you did this relatively, relatively recently, right? This was within the last 10 years, just a few years ago, five, yeah. five years. Yeah. yeah. Just a few years ago. Cause Amazon both put the poles. film together. Right. Yeah. Which I still haven't seen yet. It's on my list. I, I, I meant to watch it before our interview, but, um, and that's specifically about the poles or is that's that just about your pole. story? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it, co- gotcha. it covers the whole thing, but the main crux of it right. is the North pole, because that's the only one I needed to finish to get the grand slam. Gotcha. Okay. Is that the only document? I say only. Is that the only documentary that's out there about you? Or was there one other? There's the the main feature one. Marmot, one of my sponsors, put together something a number of years ago. But the biggest one is the Amazon. It's called True North. The Sean's True North, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make sure to link all that in the the episode. But, um, man, yeah, that is so cool. I just... What a cool story, you know, and then you went out, you, you did the Hawaii Ironman too, right? Yeah, I figured why not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you just keep adding more. So like, what's next? Like, is there a next or is it now just like now the next is me focusing on inspiring and building up the next generation and, um, or, or is there like another adventure waiting for you? There are a number of adventures. Um, the, the online program I have, the Big Hill Challenge. Mm-hmm. that's that's set that's ready and i'm also utilizing it in, within corporations right and the next and and what is that again can you can you share a little bit about what the big hill challenge is it's basically utilizing helping people utilize personal core values through habit stacking to become happier in life mm. and, and it helps people develop and, and discover their own purpose you know i, I had a gotcha. guy take it he was a ceo of a corporation and when he got done with it, he and I had breakfast and he said, Sean, for the past 20 years, I felt like I was on the hamster wheel. And this is the first thing that's gotten mm. me off of the hamster wheel. And, and I've had that's a amazing. Of people tell me it changed their lives, you know, which, which mm. is just amazing. I, I love hearing that stuff. Uh, yeah. The, um, the next big thing I'm, I'm hoping if it works out in January of 2023, I want to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. So we, <laughs> seven days, seven days. We have a start. We're going to start in Antarctica, fly to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to Perth, Perth, Dubai, Madrid, Santiago, and finish in Miami. Dude, so, <laughs> that would be crazy. Holy moly. Have you run a marathon? Oh, well, yeah, I guess you did the, wait, is it a marathon in the Ironman? Yeah. The, so the Ironman, the one I did was the, um, World Championship Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. It's a two, okay. basically a two and a half mile ocean swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then you finish with a marathon. What? Well, yeah, you know, just a cherry on top, right? <laughs> oh, well, man. they used to have it when they used to do the marathons or the, the triathlons a while back, a long time ago. They had the swimming last, but people would cramp up and they had people die. Like maybe we should put swimming first. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez, that's crazy. Oh man. So man, I mean, just, wow, that would be crazy. Seven days, seven continents, seven marathons. Um, what would training even look like for that? A lot of, a lot of running. Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
I'm just trying to picture like because I, I used to be a runner back in the day. I don't know if I told you that, but I, I mean, I say run, like I did cross country and track in high school, and you know, so I'm just trying to picture like doing marathon. <laughs> that's that's amazing, dude. Kudos to you, and I, I hope that's a dream you can reach someday if if that's on your. I'm, I'm Your, hoping. Uh, mindset. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also taking a group up uh, to Everest Base Camp in October. And then if all goes well, I'm going to test myself on a mountain called Chooyu, which is an 8,000-meter peak. And I want to mm -hmm. see if it's possible to climb an 8,000-meter peak without oxygen with one lung. Just to, just, wow. just to see. Have the oxygen available to see if it's possible. And then sure. if that goes well, maybe in 2024 attempt Everest again without oxygen. I was just going to ask, so when you did Everest, was it with oxygen? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Because typically anything, 8,000 meter peaks are higher, you, you typically need oxygen. Correct. Yeah. Right. So has, has anybody done it before without oxygen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Multiple people. Really? Well, I wouldn't okay. say multiple wow. people. I guess a handful of people. I don't a know handful. how many. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Well, dude, I'm excited to see what's coming. <laughs> um this has been so good. I don't want to take up more of your time. I know we're at the end of the hour, so um, we can wrap up if you need to. But this has just been – I know I could just talk a year off for days if, if we had time. So uh, this has been so fun to connect. Um, I hope we, we can continue to connect more, and uh, I'm excited to read your new books coming out. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time, and thanks for the opportunity to finally connect. Yeah. I know I've been pretty busy for a while, and, and we haven't been able to connect, well, but I'm glad we finally did. Yeah. Well, and I know we will continue and hopefully next time we can be in person right. and, um, you know, way I always like to end episodes, any last kind of final remarks, words of wisdom is what I kind of call it, um, uh, that you want to pass on to my audience. Words of wisdom. <laughs> Just find a deeper purpose for life. You know, this, this isn't a dress rehearsal. You know, we, we could hop into a car and, and get into a car crash and die tomorrow. If, if, mm. if uncertainty, if, if the past two years with COVID has been any indication of how uncertain the world is and uncertain life really is, what are you waiting for? Yeah, You have goals, you have dreams, you have desires. What are you waiting for? Mm. Well said. Thank you, Sean. Really appreciate <laughs> you having you on here.